Good afternoon and welcome to BibleQuest.tv. It is good to have everyone on this Wednesday. If you saw, I just tried to talk without using my mic and that is what we call a boomer moment. So uh, sorry about that. Uh, speaking of boomer, Jeff Smelser is joining us today. How are you doing today, Jeff? <laughs> you might have wanted to unmute as well, Jeff. <laughs> Just proving that it was is indeed boomer behavior. Okay, <laughs> fine. Thank you. And of course, we have Joe Works joining us uh, as well. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm very blessed. Thank you. Good. Glad to hear that. Uh, today we are going to be talking about making lifelong disciples. Uh, this might be a, some good principles for us to talk about. As number one, just all of us as we are disciples of Jesus Christ, as we think about some things that are helpful, that have been helpful to us over the years of our walk with Jesus, and also thinking about some things that weren't so helpful, um, some things that may, maybe made us stumble a little bit or didn't help us grow at the rate that we wanted to. And so I think uh, this will be a valuable discussion for everyone involved today, whether you're listening or whether you're Jeff or Joe, because we all have experience with this. And so maybe you're, you're a young Christian that's listening to this and you're trying to get up, get some tips on how you can grow and become a lifelong disciple of Jesus. Or maybe you're someone that's been a Christian for decades now, and you can benefit from thinking about how to help a young Christian grow and fully commit their life to Jesus Christ. Um, and so that's the purpose of the podcast today. Guys, um, we, we could all spend a little bit of time talking about our background and uh, our, our walk with Christ. But um, if it's okay, just putting you all on the spot, can you all spend about 60 seconds, maybe 90 seconds talking about what your experience with Christ was uh, when you came to know the Lord and became a disciple? We'll start with you, Jeff. Well, I was fairly young. My parents were Christians. I had been raised so that um, uh, I had never known a time that I didn't believe in, in God, that I didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. Um, but I got to a point where I was convicted of sin. I realized I had done wrong. And um, I, knew I, was, I knew I was young, and I knew that I would be viewed as young. And um, so it, it kind of took some determination just to make up my mind. I was going to make it known I wanted to be baptized, and I wasn't going to be put off. So I was baptized into Christ. I remember, I remember that after I was baptized, I... I was confident that I could die at that moment and I would be with the Lord. And so I was very, very careful, um, just conscious for the next, I think it was about three weeks, I was just so careful to, to be sure I didn't do anything wrong. Like when you get a brand new car and you don't want to get any dings in the car or anything. And then I remember the occasion about three weeks after I'd been baptized, I um, remember an occasion, I won't go into the details, but I just said something that was very inappropriate uh, to, to a fellow classmate. And, and it just that sense of, oh no, <laughs> there's that first dent, that first scrape, that first, oh, oh. But the fact is, uh, the Bible teaches that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us. In Christ, there's no condemnation. And, um, and so that's very comforting. And it's one of the things I've always tried to, to tell people when they're baptized into Christ. That you, you want to live a holy life. You want to be careful. You don't want to mess up. But eventually, there'll become a, an occasion when you do something that's wrong. Just know that you can be as clean 
in the eyes of the Lord uh, again as you were the moment you came up out of the waters of baptism. Amen. And it sounds like from a young age as well, one of the things your parents did a good job helping you understand is that this was a lifetime decision. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes a lot of people miss that. Um, I don't think that's always explained early on in someone's walk with Christ, you know, that this is a, a lifelong commitment. This is not just a two or three year commitment where you get super into Jesus and then you coast the rest of your life. Yep. But this is something that's going to be ongoing. And so it sounds like from a young age, even after you obeyed, you understood that you needed to get back up on the path and keep walking. That's exactly uh, right. Excellent. No, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, Joe, uh, if you don't mind, brother, filling us in on what your experience was. Uh, yeah, so I would say that for many years, uh, all through my teen years, I was sort of a, and, and me and my family, uh, maybe just to be blunt, uh, practicing atheist. You know, there would be some talk about God occasionally, but really nothing serious, no devotion to the Lord, no no real reading of his word or, or prayers beyond maybe some very special occasion sort of thing. Um, thankfully, some uh, friends uh, that I worked with uh, taught me the, the path uh, of Jesus, uh, was uh, converted to the Lord, fell away, and then came back to the Lord uh, some months later, I guess over a year later, um, and uh, very similar thoughts to, to what Jeff just stated, uh, recognizing that no matter where you've been, um, the Lord wants you to come home. So whether you've been a David who was a good person, but royally, pun intended, messed up, or if you are a Manasseh who lived in great rejection of God, but then saw the consequences and the, the, the horror of your ways and, and turned back. Um, the Lord wants all of his people. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, and I so appreciate you bringing up the, the struggles that come early on with, uh, with Christianity and, and this, the hesitancy when there is so much sin in your life, when you're rebelling against God. But then the final giving it up to the Lord, you know, surrendering, um, having that humble heart and giving it all over to God because you realize that the way I've been living my life, it's not working for me. So here's the thing. And uh, for my experience, it was actually um, similar to Jeff's. I was raised in a godly home, um, knowing God, knowing Jesus as the son of God, but I was convicted of sin um, at a young age and knew that I needed to have my sins forgiven and, and gave my life over to the Lord. And so, the reason why I wanted to bring up our, our different backgrounds is to point out that we're still walking with Christ. Um, we're still striving to make uh, decisions to, so that we can live eternally with Jesus. But unfortunately, I don't think we always talk about it, that the scriptures are pretty clear that there are going to be people who sign up to be Christians, but they won't run the entire race. Um, they, they won't make it the whole way. And there's a few passages that come to mind, Hebrews 13, as he talks about the, the Christian race fixing our eyes on Jesus to cross that finish line. I think about the, the parable of the sower, uh, where the seed is sowed, and then eventually the thorns rise up and, and they choke out the word from the person who just obeyed it. And what I want to do for, for the next 40 minutes or so that we're able to talk, the first thing I want to do is talk about maybe some helpful things 
for someone who is a, a new Christian, someone who's a, a, just obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, the first way I like to put this is, let's just follow the early Christian's growth plan. And I remember Sally, my daughter, when she was born, she was five pounds, 11 ounces. So she was a little smaller size. She wasn't premature or anything, but just a little smaller. And the doctors pretty quickly were like, well, we need to have a growth plan for her. It's okay that she's a smaller baby, but we need to make sure she keeps putting on weight at the same rate a, a larger baby would have. And so they had a growth plan. And I, I would submit that I think the early Christians had a growth plan as well. But let's look over at Acts chapter two. Acts chapter 2, and will one of you fellows read, will Joe read verses 41 through 47, since Jeff walked away for just a second. I will. Acts 2, 40, what? 41 through 47. 41 through 47, okay. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Okay, so from the very beginning of the Christian church, as these souls are baptized, as they have been forgiven of their sins. Remember, guys, there, there are folks, Jews from 16 different nations here in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And after they're baptized, they don't go, okay, well, see you guys later. You're on your own now. That's, that's not at all what they did. Uh, what they did was spent time dedicating themselves to four things in specific. Uh, in verse 42, it says that they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching is the first thing, which makes sense. Uh, for I'd say a lot of these Jews, this is the first time that they're listening to the apostles. Maybe they've seen them before in times past, but now they're actually starting to listen to the apostles. And the apostles are from Jesus Christ. And so it's going to be necessary for them to hear the teachings of Jesus that the apostles would have had the ability to teach about. So they're continuing in that, uh, in fellowship. How would you guys describe the word fellowship? I feel like that, that's a word that gets thrown around a lot, but how would you all yeah, use Yeah, it? it really does. I mean, people use the term fellowship if it, as if it just means Christians having a good time together. Uh, what it means is sharing. And obviously, if, if you and I get together and have pizza together, we're sharing, we're sharing in pizza and we're sharing companionship. But I think we lose sight of the term of the meaning sharing, which then calls our attention to the question, what is it that you're sharing? Which is obviously always important in the context of talk about fellowship. What is it you're sharing? Um, and, and we just think it means having a good time together. And that's really not, and, and specifically Christians having a good time together, that's really not the meaning. It, it means sharing. And there's some question in this passage what the sharing is. One possibility is, as the text goes on in Acts chapters 2 and, and uh, 6, four, at the end of chapter 4 and, and in chapter 6, there's a lot of emphasis upon the Christians uh, sharing their material needs because there were a lot of people who 
were becoming Christians here on, in Acts chapter 2 who had come from other countries and hadn't intended to stay in Jerusalem. Now they stay here and they're essentially homeless. And so there's a great deal of emphasis on sharing homes, sharing food, um, sharing their possessions. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that, that bleeds really well into verse 44 and 45, where they are serving and sharing their brethren, like you said, as they, they are, um, a lot of them are not in their home place, but some of them are. And so they're having all things in common and selling their properties and things like that. Um, excellent explanation of that word fellowship. What, what happens after that in verse 42? Uh, well, breaking of bread. Yeah, thank you, Joe. <clears throat> yeah, what do you guys think about that? Is that just a general breaking of bread, or do you think there's something more to it than just that? I think one of those. Yeah, okay. <laughs> which one? I'm going to let Joe tell me which one. <laughs> well, I mean, so it can be either a common meal or the idea of the Lord's Supper, I, I believe. Um, context, I think, is the only way that we would know that if I, unless there's something that I'm just not, haven't understood yet, which is always possible. Uh, but the context is around spiritual activities, uh, even if those spiritual activities might involve like the distribution of money and so forth. It is for the purpose of, of strengthening saints all throughout this text. Um, uh, there is a distinction uh, later on in verse 46 of breaking bread from house to house, um, uh, eating their, their meals there. So it seems like there's two different things being discussed. 42 would be the Lord's Supper and uh, 46 would be eating common meals. Yeah. I, I don't know that I could force that or insist on that, but it just seems to be a reasonable reading of it in my opinion. And I do think it's fair to say we know that the apostles and the early disciples were taking the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. In Acts 20 and verse 7, it will specifically say when Paul was in Troas, he gathered with the brethren there to break bread. And I believe that's a reference to the Lord's Supper. And so regardless of, of whichever one it is, there is still this spiritual aspect to it. And then the last thing in verse 42 is prayer. They're obviously overwhelmed with thanksgiving and praise to God. And so they're praying to God about that. I would have loved to have heard what, what some of those first prayers of some of those people would have been as they are now Christians. But let me just boil that down again. The apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread or Lord's Supper, maybe prayer. That's pretty good. The, the, those are some things that early disciples got on board with quick. And it's something that I think early disciples now to get, need to get on board with. Go ahead, Jeff. And to your point, your overall point, making lifelong disciples, these people that are getting on board, as you say, with this, these are people who have chosen to stay in Jerusalem when their homes are elsewhere because they feel the need to continue in the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking bread and prayers. Uh, this would be as if you or I, you just got back from a trip out of state, right? Yes, sir. You were, you, you were gone for about a week, right? Yes, sir. So you're out of state. You're planning to come home. You have a house waiting for you here in Pennsylvania. You had a dog waiting for you here in Pennsylvania. You had uh, work waiting for you here in Pennsylvania. Most of your clothes were waiting for you here in Pennsylvania. But if you had been, can we say where you were? Florida. Yeah. Florida. You were in Florida. While you were in Florida, if somehow you had suddenly become convinced 
you weren't a Christian, you'd suddenly become convinced that, wow, here is eternal life. Here's the message of my creator about how I can have eternal life, how I can be reconciled to him and forgiven of my sin. Then you embrace that and you decide, I'm not going back to Pennsylvania. I'm staying in Florida, uh, leaving behind all of my worldly, earthly possessions and connections because this is what's important. I think that's a hard thing to get across sometimes to people whom I baptize is, is now, what's it going to take for you to grow as a disciple? Yes. And this, this is the text I almost immediately, either the same day or next study with someone I've just baptized, this is the text I take them to. Uh, and and we, we just park right here in 41 through 47, and we would talk about what these folks are doing. With that, in verse 44 and 45, these new brethren, they're, no, they're not just sitting back, you know, getting served. A lot of these brethren were serving. And I think that is one of the best things a new Christian can do to get involved early. They might not have the knowledge to just step in and to some degree lead a Bible study discussion or, or serve in a public worship somehow. And that's okay. That's totally fine. There are plenty of other ways to get involved quickly with the work in the kingdom of God. And one of those things is, is serving. Um, I, you guys remember Peter's mother-in-law in Mark 1? You yep. guys remember when Jesus came into her house and he healed her? You all remember what she did as soon as he healed her? And serving them. She got up. Yep, she got up and started serving them. That's exactly right. And I think that's a great way for someone who's a new Christian to, to immediately get involved in a way that doesn't require, I don't want to say it doesn't require talent. That's not the right word to put, uh, right thing to put, but it doesn't require a lot of experience. Uh, I'll put it, or, or Christian maturity to do. It's something anyone can do and do quickly. And these old early disciples were doing just that. And then, um, of course, verse 46 and verse 47, I, I think you see a continual um, unity in the temple, specifically with praising God. Uh, there needs to be worship to our God. And so I, those are three important things I think you need to talk to a new Christian about immediately after they're baptized. Thoughts on that? I like the idea of <clears throat> using this passage as, as a model and helping a new Christian see this as a model. Yeah. And it's perfect because it comes right after Acts 2.38 where they repent and are baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And you see what, what goes on after that. And, All right. and what's really neat uh, is that, yeah, as that being, being right here at the beginning of, of Acts, um, often we think the Acts of the Apostles uh, seems like a year or two ago we talked about alternate names for the book of Acts. Um, uh, but uh, the, the acts of converted people, um, I think, was one of the statements that maybe L.A. Mott Jr. had first, uh, uh, first saw from his writings. Um, uh, you, you, ve you very much see that what's, what is listed here is almost like a template for when we come across various conversions and new, new churches beginning in the rest of the book of Acts and, and in the epistles. Yes. Yeah, excellent point. I'll say this, guys. So we've kind of talked about what the early Christian, or excuse me, what the new Christian needs to be doing in order to be a lifelong disciple. Now I want to point out something in the book of Acts that we, as the older brothers or sisters in Christ, can do to help someone become a lifelong disciple. And it's be a Barnabas. Um, be a Barnabas. Mm -hmm. So in Acts chapter 4, 
is the first time we're introduced to this man. And um, Acts 4 and verse 36, it says, Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the first time we're introduced to this young man named Joseph, who was renamed Barnabas because he was such an encourager to people. And we learned that he was someone that was living the life of a disciple. He, he was walking with Christ. And I know that to be true because in Acts 4, it's obviously contrasting Barnabas with a couple of other folks in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, who obviously did not have good intentions in their giving like Barnabas did. And so Barnabas was a good disciple of Jesus Christ. And it's talked, uh, he's talked about again over in Acts chapter 9. And uh, if you don't mind, Jeff, um, bring us up to speed what's happening in Acts 9, 26 and 27, and then read it for me. All right. So in Acts chapter 9, um, Saul has come to uh, Damascus and he has um, met Ananias. He's been baptized and he, then he's gone about preaching. And of course, he's run into persecution from uh, other Jews, whereas he was persecuting the, the believers amongst the Jews. Now he is with the believers. And so those who he was allied with now see him as a turncoat. And so he, but he, but the, on the other hand, the disciples, the disciples uh, still hear of him as having been persecuting the believers. And so he's kind of in a no man's land in some environments. And that seems to be the case here. Chapter nine, verse 26, when he was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, he attempted, he tried, to join himself to the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas steps in and vouches for Saul. He really is a believer now. And uh, so then he, um, he, in verse 28, was with them going in and going out at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spake and disputed against the Grecian Jews, but they were seeking to kill him. So it's a, it's a picture of somebody for whom it is so important that he be connected to other disciples, that he be associated with the church where he is, that even when at first they are very standoffish and they don't want to have anything to do with him, uh, that, that doesn't deter him. And I think that's a lesson for us. I think some of us, we walk into a congregation and we get a vibe that like maybe they don't see me as one of them or maybe people are a little cooler. Maybe somebody just didn't say hi to me. We get our feelings hurt and well, that's it. I'm not going back there. Paul, Paul reacted much better. Yes. And I love, and in short, as we talk about being a Barnabas, what he did here is he took someone new under his wing. That's what Barnabas did. Yeah, I, I don't know how well he knew Saul. Obviously, he knew some about him, and he certainly knew about his life before he was a Christian. But Barnabas was willing to stick his neck out for Paul to help him or Saul at this time so he would feel connected with this local group and, and to sincerely want the gospel to spread by the work that Saul did. And I bet we could all go in a circle right now. And why don't we do that? Joe, um, who was someone that took you under their wing whenever you first obeyed the gospel? Uh, Dennis Sodgill and Vince Connors. 
Yeah, right there. It is boom. Joe knew who it was and they encouraged you. They taught you and, and maybe it wasn't even any direct Bible study that they had. It's just their conduct and learning how to live as a Christian from people who've been doing it for years. And I want to be that to someone else. I, I want to take them under my wing the way Barnabas did for Saul. Jeff, do you have someone that automatically? Comes Lawrence, to Lawrence Hall. You know, I, I mentioned before I was very young, but some of the men, the adult men in the congregation just uh, immediately kind of uh, were very encouraging. And uh, I remember Lawrence Hall in particular. Yes. And for me, uh, two, two of the men at my home congregation, Alex Meyer and Dan Galloway and Jason Bridgman. Uh, that's three men, actually, uh, that, that all just kind of took me under their wing and, and helped me grow early on as a Christian. And that's what we want to be for other people. That's being a Barnabas. That's being an encourager. And here's the thing. You think Barnabas, you think it'd be tempting to kind of get jealous of Saul's ability to just get out there and teach as quickly as he did? Maybe so, but he's not. It doesn't tell us that Barnabas is jealous of Saul in any way. In fact, he goes on preaching trips with Saul and helps Saul in preaching the gospel. So if, we, we want to be a Barnabas there. If I might make a another application, certainly this is not the scenario with Saul and Barnabas, but uh, I think it's a, at least the first cousin. Um, uh, when I became a Christian, uh, I lived in the world pretty seriously, adopted the world's language, the world's culture, um, the world's clothing, uh, you know, several things along that line. I become a Christian I knew how to go to a, a bar and, and mingle with people and talk with people. When I became a Christian, I was quite intimidated about going and talking to other Christians. People have a hard time imagining me being bashful now, uh, but I actually used to drive an hour to gospel meetings by myself, sit in the parking lot until after they began and then I would come in, sit on the back row, and then leave during the closing prayer. I wanted to learn. I wanted to study. I knew I needed to grow, but I was intimidated. All of these people were perfect. Hmm. Their lives were, you know, they just had everything together, and they, they, you know, they didn't have the struggles that I had. And I was so scared of actually talking to people that, that I would avoid Christians often. Um, and we need to be aware that there are people who erroneously view us as being all together and, and having it all together and, and thinking that we've got it all figured out and so forth. And we need to be really clear that, listen, we're on this path together. And so, so let's walk hand in hand. Uh, to me, that's, that's one way that we can practically be a Barnabas today. Yeah, that's really important. I, I've seen so many times people become Christians. And to, in their minds, everybody in this congregation, where they're going to start worshiping with this congregation, everybody there has been a Christian forever. That's the way they look at it. These are people who've got it all together. They're righteous. They're holy. And this person who's just become a Christian doesn't see him or herself as, as in the same category. And uh, so it's, it, sometimes that's a hindrance to this person really becoming connected and, and, um, and growing. Um, and so I think that's, that's very useful for those of us who've been maybe Christians for some years to say, look, I was where you are, um, and I'm still in need of the same grace of God that you have now embraced. 
You know, and that's really a good lead in into the next half of what I want to do with the webcast today and talk about things that might be hurtful as we're trying to develop someone who's just obeyed the gospel and try to help them become a lifelong disciple. And I know maybe all three of us can contribute to this on one end or the other end of it, but it, one of the most hurtful things we can do for people is to overwhelm them with unreasonable expectations as they have just obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll explain what I mean by that as we kind of go here. You guys might remember in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 2, um, Peter uses a really cool analogy there that I just want to borrow for the sake of this point, where he talks about us being like, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. And I just want to think about that idea of a babe in Christ, so, someone who is just a baby in Jesus Christ. And just ask the question, what do babies or toddlers want or do? <laughs> Number one, toddlers or babies, rather, they want milk, right? That's all they want. Um, my daughter is now on to solid food pretty much exclusively. And, uh, but I remember those, those first several months of her life where that's all she wanted. It was like we couldn't feed her enough milk because that's all she really wanted. And as we think about studying with someone who's a new Christian, I do think that's a helpful thing to think through, that there are things that are what I will call milk studies, and then there are things that are steak studies. And one of the worst things you can do is to give a baby steak before they're ready for it. And so you guys have been preaching for a long time. Jeff, you've been doing it probably 50, 40 years, 30. I don't know. Us. I almost said 50. 50 <laughs> sounded like too much. No, it's yeah, over 40. Okay. And Joe, I know you've been doing it for probably 30 or five, 30, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So guys, in your experience, I mean, what are some helpful milk studies that you like to do with people? What, what would be some good books to study, study with someone as, they, as they've just obeyed the gospel? The, 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 one, one of the gospels, you know, the, the book of Mark or, or you know, any of them, really Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, if we're wanting them to become Christians and not Church of Christers, then I think we need to emphasize the life of Christ. We don't ignore church. We don't ignore commandments and so forth. But we want them to be molded into the image of Jesus. And so we want them to see Jesus as clearly as possible. And, yes. and, and of course, Jesus is revealed to us in the scriptures. And so one of the things that, that is important is to help somebody become uh, capable of, of learning for themselves directly from the word of God. Uh, yeah. So this is something I've often done with somebody before he or she is baptized. Uh, but sometimes when somebody is baptized quickly, it's, it's very important to do this afterwards. Uh, you know, the book of Genesis is the beginning of the whole Bible. The word Genesis means beginnings, but it's not just the beginning. It's actually the underpinnings of the rest of the Bible. You have the first picture of God as good and everything that he makes is good. And then, and then what sin does to the relationship between man and God. Uh, you have the first picture of the concept of, of an intercessor, of a priest, which is what Jesus is ultimately going to be, who can step in between and, and reconcile man to God. You have the beginning statements of the promises that, that God makes to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, that are the framework for the rest of the Bible. Um, you, you have so much there in the book of Genesis that is just the very concept of justification by faith. 
in, in the book of Romans, where does Paul go to illustrate justification by faith? He goes back to Abraham in the book of Genesis. Um, when you look at the, the concept of children who are children by God's say-so, not by lineage, not by where well, my parents were, my grandparents were, so forth, it's in Galatians that Paul goes back to the book of Genesis to talk about how we are like Isaac, children by God's promise, by God's say-so. So I, I think it's always very valuable, either when somebody is, is first learning the gospel before they're baptized in Christ, or uh, once they've been baptized in Christ, is to get Genesis nailed down for them and how it is the underpinnings of everything else in the Bible. I, I, I talk about the gospel in the book of Genesis. Yes, I completely agree. Helping them see the big picture of the Bible as they've just obeyed the gospel, helping them understand how all these things from the Old Testament were the lead up to all that, I think is so imperative and likely a lot, thing, a lot more light bulbs will, will come on for them as you do that with them. Um, I've asked this to a, a group of other Bible teachers and one of them suggested he pretty quickly will go over Proverbs, selected Proverbs with different people because there's a whole new system of living as you become a Christian, as you're trying to walk with God. And the Proverbs address different principles and different attitudes we need to have in all categories of life that are really cool. So I thought that was cool for what it's worth. And they're and, pretty easy to understand. And so they are uh, often going to be that milk category. Yes. And I know a lot of new brethren who get overwhelmed because they're involved in so many new Bible studies as a result of becoming a Christian. And so sometimes offering them something that is a little more bite-sized and easy to digest, it's helpful to them. But um, yeah, that's exactly right. And we could spend some time talking about what some stake studies would be. I think there are certain books of the Bible that are good books to read, but it might not be the first thing I talk with them about whenever I have just baptized them. Or, or maybe there are some topics that I'm just not going to discuss with them unless they, of course, ask about it until maybe they have a little bit more milk in their system being a new Christian. And so I think this is a helpful exercise uh, for us to think about with new Christians. Along with that, though, as we were asking this question, what do babies or toddlers do? Um, guys, I, my baby is now transitioned into that toddler phase a, a good bit. So she's eating T-bones now? Uh, not quite yet, but she's, she's eating meat. Um, but the other thing she's been doing lately is her vocabulary has been expanding. And as she can learn to, to kind of say new words, everything she points to. What's that? <laughs> what's that what's that she yeah. asks a lot of questions yeah. and the more her vo vocabulary will expand of course you all both have um a quiver full of, of of children think about your kids when they were that age it's like every day they have a hundred questions asking you what's this what's that you know what does that mean you know and sometimes that can get a little i don't want to say annoying but a little like okay you, you've already asked 10 questions today but i'll just keep asking or I'll keep answering it to the best of my ability. And the same is going to be true with someone who's a new Christian. Uh, they're going to be asking a lot of questions as they are coming across things for the first time. And what would be really hurtful in that situation is to belittle them whenever they ask questions about something we consider to be obvious or something that they should already know. You could actually be doing harm. You could be discouraging them in the way you respond to them. And Joe, I think you actually have a good story. I'm going to put you on the spot again. But I remember you telling a story about a meeting you had went to 
and uh, if, if I'm telling the story wrong, you interrupt me, but the preacher said something about, well, we all know the story of Jonah, and I believe you didn't listen to another word that man said. You just stopped and started reading the book of Jonah for the rest of his lesson, correct? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. He, he began uh, it partway early on in his lesson. He said something about like, that's like in the story of Jonah, but we all know that. So let's move on. And I panicked. <laughs> I was like, wait, he just said, we all know that. Everybody in this room knows the story of Jonah, but Joe works. I need to learn that. I mean, that, that's really like I was... It, it just gave me this sense of urgency. And so I went to my table of contents. I found what page Jonah was on and turned there and just read those four chapters and just kept trying to figure out what that, what that was about. Um, uh, and yeah, I have no idea what he preached on, um, uh, but I, I, did, I did learn the preaching of Jonah. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's good. I think that's such a good thing. I think you did the, the right thing. Um, but I'll tell you, I think, I think we all sometimes do that as, as Christians. We, we sometimes assume too much about what something, um, about what someone knows, and that can actually be harmful and, and somewhat discouraging to someone that's new to the faith. So I hope that that makes sense. Uh, I'll also say the other thing we want to do when a new Christian is asking a lot of questions, we want to take them back to Scripture. This kind of goes back to something that Jeff said earlier. Um, on them getting them to the milk. We want them to realize that they don't have to depend on us to answer all of their questions. That's what the word is for. And so if we're always bringing them back to the word as we're answering their different questions, what we're doing is instilling in them a good attitude for the rest of their walk with Christ, what the expectation should be when they do have a question or when someone else comes to them with some Bible teaching. And so that's what we always want to do when someone's asking us questions. Don't just shoot off, uh, off, off the cuff. You know, take some time to be patient with them as you answer their different questions. Um, any other thoughts or comments on that, guys? And then we'll, we'll uh, talk about a couple other things here. Well, those are helpful. I'll tell you all one other thing that I think is just super unhelpful to someone who's, who's striving to be a lifelong disciple is when they see disunity in the local church. Um, we all who have put on Christ in baptism wear the name Christian. That, that, that is what unites us. That is what is supposed to bring us all together. And I have seen it in new Christians where they become super discouraged when they learn that the local church that they're now worshiping with actually has a lot of disunity in it. They think they're coming into this group of people who are loving and who are connected and united and who are uniting themselves around Christ. But then they learn, actually, this group of people don't like each other. They have a lot of, a lot of um, problems, a lot of divisions within the group. And what that really does is encourages or sorry, discourages them from wanting to, to grow, to, to get to know other people. I think it becomes a distraction to their growth. Um, so this so this is one of the reasons it's so important that we, when we're teaching someone, we are converting that person to Christ, not to us. We're converting this person to Christ, not to this congregation. Uh, you know, the fact is, some years ago, it dawned on me, you know, um, if somebody is out just looking for who prays the most, they might find somebody who prays more than this group of Christians that do. 
if they're looking for uh, who seems to, to love each other the most. You know, Jesus said in, in John the, I can't remember, John the 13th chapter, in John 13th chapter, by this all men shall know you're my disciples if you have loved one to another, verse 35. That ought to characterize God's people. But there are people who are not Christians who, who love one another. Um, people, people are imperfect. God's people are imperfect people. Um, we can't say you need to be a part of this congregation because we're better than everybody else. That's, that's not the message. You need to become a part of Christ because Christ died for your sins and he can make you righteous in God's eyes. And if, if, if we can make it clear to somebody who's becoming a Christian, you are, you are entering into a relationship with your creator through Jesus Christ. And part of that relationship involves a responsibility to your brethren, but your brethren are, are not the standard. Christ is. Uh, then I think to some degree we can inoculate them against the disappointments that inevitably you're going to see in people. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. And that the last one I had on this was when they see hypocrisy in the local church that could potentially be harmful to them and their growth. But if we have if we have pointed them to Jesus as their Lord and not some system or some local church or local club, then their dedication is to him. And no matter what happens in that local group of people, it doesn't matter that their relationship is tied to Jesus Christ. They're going to be fine. Um, and so I completely agree. Um, but that does not mean, however, we, we, we're just like, well, the local church is what it is, you know, whatever. People are going to act the way that they act. You know, no, we, we still want to do our best to be living our lives right before Christ so that we can then be an encouragement to those new Christians as well. Uh, I just think about how incredibly discouraging it would be to be a new Christian and, and to surround yourself with all these people and then find out that none of them are actually living it. That'd be really hard if you, if you were involved uh, with a local church like that. Um, and so we need to practice what we preach. Um, think about what Paul said in first Corinthians five, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Uh, as we, as a local church, if we're living in sin, we might be tempting that new brother or sister in Christ to, to come back into the world and come back into the dark world that they were just saved from. And so we definitely want to do our best to avoid that. Y'all got anything else you want to add on that? Nope. No, great, great things to think through on both sides for a new convert and for those of us that uh, have responsibilities toward them. Uh, hopefully, everyone can benefit from the consideration of the passages that we looked at this afternoon. Yeah, I hope so. And uh, if you are someone that's a new Christian and you're, you're looking for more opportunities to study or, or whatever have you, uh, this is a recurring webcast. If you're listening or someone has sent this to you, this is on um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and other places as well. You can just look at BibleQuest.tv. But um, I'll also plug another podcast I'm on that is for someone who is a new Christian or is new to Christianity called HBG Bible Talks. Um, we have five seasons out where we just walk through different books of the Bible in, in a really simple and easy way. So feel free to check those out on any major podcast as well. Um, well, guys, we're a little bit early. Do you all have any closing comments you want to make before we wrap up today? Just just to underscore the, the original point, the overarching point was when, when you become a Christian, you are uh, you really are, you're becoming a new person. 
Uh, you were dead in your sins. You're now alive in Christ. You begin a new life. There's that expression, born again. It's a new beginning. It's a, it's a new birth. Uh, it's a new life. And so what that means is everything's got to be open to change. Everything's on the table. And it is a lifelong commitment that you're making. Everything's got to be open to change. Did I, did I lose you? Are you there? Out for just a second. Oh, okay. <laughs> Am I back? Yeah, you're back. I, I, I heard everything you said. I was listening to you, Jeff. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> well, what an awkward way to wrap up. But, uh, <laughs> looks, like, looks like we're going to be done for today. Sorry, everyone, about that. I guess I cut out for a second or something. That was weird. All right, but uh, we will be back on next Wednesday at three o'clock. Thank you so much for listening.